Welcome to ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. I'm your host, Ira Berkowitz, speaking to you from Jerusalem, Israel. Today, Rabbi Moshe Averick and I will be discussing world-renowned cosmologist Stephen Hawking and his thoughts on God and the universe. In particular, we'll be talking about points Hawking made in his posthumously published book, Brief Answers to the Big Questions. Listeners should keep in mind that, to quote a reviewer, the words are mostly his, mostly Hawking's. For the book, Hawking's colleagues, friends, and family pieced together things that Hawking said and wrote. Nonetheless, we'll assume that what we'll be discussing are Hawking's ideas, even if the occasional phrase is not literally his. Rabbi Averick, with whom I'll be speaking, is the author of Nonsense of a High Order, The Confused World of Modern Atheism, available on Amazon. Rabbi Averick is not afraid of taking on the brilliant Stephen Hawking when Hawking, as most of us do at times, speaks on subjects that are outside of his field of expertise. Rabbi Averick, thank you for being with us. Sure. Great to be here. Rabbi Averick, Stephen Hawking says that people cling to religion because they do not understand or trust science. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, like Newton and Gregor Mendel and Ernst Chain. Like these are great scientists who clung to religion because they didn't understand science. I mean, you know, it, look, I, I have to tell you something. Uh, let me just begin before we talk about this a little something I saw once. Uh, I saw an interview with uh, John Lennox. John Lennox, of course, is a, uh, a Christian mathematician from, I believe it's Cambridge or Oxford. At any rate, a brilliant man. And uh, I saw him being interviewed about some of the things Stephen Hawking said about religion. Now, whenever you watch John Lennox, he's a very cool character. He never he, he's he's talks evenly, calmly. He never loses his cool. And I was funny because I detected as he was talking about Stephen Hawking and his views about religion and some of the statements that he made, I detected he was kind of getting annoyed. And he said uh, one of the things that these statements prove is what Richard Feynman said was that uh, when even the greatest scientist talks about things outside of his area of expertise, he's just as dumb as the next guy. And I, he said it with a little bit of venom, I felt. I mean, or, or for or, or for John Lennox, it was venom. Uncharacteristic. Yeah, uncharacteristic. Very good. That's the word I was looking for. And I sort of didn't understand what he, why he was sort of – why did he – was he acting that way? Uh, and I have to tell you, after after buying the book and, and, and starting to read it, I, I, I'm beginning to understand. And uh, sort of as a preface to anything we're going to be talking about, you know, when I st first started investigating in a serious way the whole issue of modern atheism, I was actually excited. And I wrote this in the book. I said I was excited. Let's see what these guys have to say. Because I love, I love an intellectual battle. And I love if somebody challenges me and ideas and I got to think and it was so disappointing to read uh, the superficiality and the really the lameness of many of the things that these guys were saying. And I have to admit, I had the same kind of disappointment reading this, many of the things that are written here. I don't know if Stephen Hawking said all of them. I can only, you know, it says it was from Stephen Hawking. Uh, and the thing that struck me most of all, the one that we're going to, I think, be focusing on the chapter where we talked about, do you believe in God, is this glaring absence of profundity. That's the only way I can explain it's like, I mean, frankly, a lot of the things that are said here, I, I've heard intelligent high school students say things that are more incisive, are more uh, thought-provoking, are more uh, creative. In any case, let's go back to your question. Sure. Um, uh, which is, uh, do, do people cling to religion uh, because they don't understand science? <laughs> 
what do you what do you say to a statement like that? It's so it's so superficial. It's so trite. Uh, of, of course, people don't cling to science because, uh, religion because they don't understand science. How, many people cling to religion because they understand science. That's exactly the point. I don't even know how to react to to a statement like that. Okay, so let's go on. Um, <laughs> Hawking had said Hawking said in this in this book. Since eclipses are predictable, they must not be, therefore, the result of divine intervention. We know when they're going to happen. Right. So don't tell me it's an omen, it's a sign, it's a punishment. It's going to happen this Wednesday. Your response? Well, I mean, I mean, for instance... One of the, one of the things that he says, let me, let me, let me read you a quote that he says. I, I, I'm just, again, it's a little astounding that a guy as intelligent as Stephen Hawking would say something like this. He says, unlike laws made by humans, the laws of nature cannot be broken. That's why they are so powerful. And when seen from a religious standpoint, controversial too. If you accept as I do that the laws of nature are fixed, then it doesn't take long to ask. What role is there for God? These laws may or may not have been decreed by God, but he cannot intervene to break the laws or they would not be laws. Where does he come up with this? He, I mean, he made that up. You know, first of all, I, I once read something, someone wrote a beautiful essay about what do you mean by scientific laws? Like, is that is as if like you know uh, an atom is is standing there in court? Did you obey the law? You use you use the word law because it seems to be that that's the way that things constantly work. It's not a law. Nobody legislated it. You're investigating. You're trying to understand how the natural universe around you works. So you use a, a convenient word called a law. Uh, but it, it, to say all of a sudden because because you, because you, uh, human beings have assigned the word law to the way that they they perceive the universe works, all of a sudden that means that it can't be changed. Does that mean that God can't change it? Does that mean God doesn't exist? Does that mean God Himself is bound by these laws? These are the types of statements that He's making. So, uh, you know, I, the truth is, uh, I, I got I got so caught up in what I was saying here that I forgot what your original <laughs> question was. But these are the. Uh, I mean, how can you take something like that seriously? I, I'm trying to read what he says and to think about it and it's it's not serious really well, please you, go you've ahead a, you've, you've actually asked me, asked me another question no 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 you've actually answered the question because i was going to get to that anyway because the eclipses an eclipse oh will yeah go eclipse. according to natural law and here we're dealing with the more general issue i i'd like to add to i'd like to add something yeah, from let me Mike. just add some real yeah. quick in, in other words stephen hawking is kind of coming from this place where yes there were ignorant superstitious people who who saw an eclipse and you know thought you know the the world was ending or whatever etc cetera, etc cetera. okay so so it, it's a natural phenomena i can't help with the fact that you know that he he talks about the vikings he said even people as tough as the vikings you know had to come up with mythological explanations for the forces of nature and the Vikings, they were barbarian, you know, they were brutal, vicious pagans. They used to, you know, sa- practice human sacrifice and ran up and down the coast of Great Britain, raping and pillaging. And somehow that's the example that you use as, as religious people, religious thinkers. Come on. I mean, that's, that's just, it, 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 it's so superficial. It's convenient. It's convenient. It is to re- convenient. To, to reduce religious thinking to, to the Vikings. To the Vikings. <laughs> And 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 all of the rest of us, all of the rest of us are basically just Vikings wearing neckties. 
Okay, but I wanted to get back to something about natural law that I think we could add, and that if we do suppose the existence of God, then he should be beyond natural law. After all, since he created them in the first place. So to say there can't be a God because that would violate natural law is to say that it's impossible, logically, to say that someone created that in the first place. Well, in other words, look, I mean, Stephen Hawking makes it very clear that he is a true believer. He's a believer in, uh, the, the, the God called science. He's a believer in the religion called scientific naturalism. He says it, he states it explicitly. He says, that's what I believe in. Someone like myself who believes in science. Hey, I have no problem. You want to believe in science? Be my guest. You know, I, 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 but, I, but call yourself a believer. Yeah, but say I'm a believer in science. This is my faith. This is what I, what I accept. These are my articles of faith. And that's fine. But, but to wax philosophical based on, you know, the articles of faith that you kind of manufactured in your own mind, you know, it's, it's not really an intellectual exercise. It's like sitting and chatting with a guy in a bar. Like, tell me how you see the world. Okay. And here's how I see the world. That's wonderful. That's fine. And that's really what this, this book is. It's sort of the ramblings of, uh, of Stephen Hawking about how he feels about some of these other questions. You know, when it comes to physics, I keep my mouth shut. I would sit at his feet and listen. And because I don't, you know, I, who am I, who am I going to, I'm going to argue with physics, Stephen Hawking, but here he's talking about other things that are outside. They really are outside of his area of expertise. And it's clear to any intelligent religious thinker that, th- that these are so undeveloped ideas. They're, they're, they're non profound ideas. And, um, uh, so that's how I'm, that's how I approach it. Uh, that's how I'm approaching the things that he's talking about here. I think we have, I think we have a, a deeper problem, which is that it's not only that they, they show naivete about theology, etc., but that they're fallacies. Let's go on. Hawking says, for centuries, I'm quoting him, for centuries it was believed that disabled people like me were living under a curse that was inflicted by God. Well, I suppose it's possible that I've upset someone up there, but I prefer to think that everything can be explained by the laws of nature. Comment, please. I, I mean, it's like, it's like they're non sequiturs. It's like, you know, why, why did Stephen Hawking have this disease? Well, I mean, you could, it has a, it has a physical source. That's true. Why was he born that way? Could you explain it? Because there was a reason why the, the infinite creator of the universe decided that this man called Stephen Hawking should be in a wheelchair for a good portion of his life. How, how would I know? How would I even be able to answer such a question? But the idea that, that somehow, because there used to be superstitious people who believed that he was under a curse, and now we have a, we have, you know, medical explanations for things, that somehow those two ideas together prove, prove what? That, that science is king? I don't, I mean, I don't even, I, there, there's no logical connection. There's no building on an idea and, and arriving at a conclusion. I mean, if he did physics that way, I mean, you know, they would have fired him a long time ago from, Wherever he went in Oxford or Cambridge, whatever. <laughs> right. I, I'd like to. I like to just highlight some of the words here. He says, um, "I prefer to think." Yeah, well, I understand that. I understand that. Of course, you prefer to think. So, so would I. But we don't know, do we? I prefer to think that everything can be explained by the the laws of nature. But right. Of course. And secondly, just from a theological point, who says that all difficulty is punishment? That's what you're really getting at. You're saying. You know, there's a big, big gap between 
the Viking cowering under under the uh, lightning bolts uh, thrown at him by by all his gods, right. and the, and the point of view that well you know it all happened because it had to happen right through the laws of nature. There's a lot more to say, isn't there? Okay, another point uh, Hawking makes another another remark. When you look at the vast size of the universe and how insignificant and accidental human life is human life is in it a personal god seems most implausible by personal god hawking means one with whom people can have a personal relationship right why would you reject hawking's assessment well i mean this is just an i think it's another example of like non sequiturs what does one thing have to do with the other first of all if we're, we're, let's assume we're talking about the god of monotheism and the monotheistic God, the God of Abraham that, that, that is accepted by the great monotheistic religions, essentially. Uh, if God is infinite, uh, to remember, to, to an infinite God who is outside of any boundaries of time, space, matter, and energy, there's no difference between a, a star that's a billion times the size of Earth and a pebble. There's, they're all exactly the same. They're both, as it were, equally significant or equally insignificant. And the same goes for human being. There's no difference to God between, as it were, relating to one human being or relating to a billion human beings. When you have infinite resources at your disposal, and this is the concept of God that we're dealing with, the the, the concept of significance, uh, uh, you know, the, or at least from the way we might view significance, becomes irrelevant. The question is not how Stephen Hawking sees himself. The question is, how does God see human beings? And is there a way for us to know such a thing? I'm not claiming that just because I may believe in God, that that means everyone has to accept all my ideas. And let's say as, as an Orthodox rabbi, everyone has to accept every idea that I say is true. I, if I'm going to try to convince people or persuade people of my ideas, I have to back it up with reason, logic, evidence, etc. I'm just saying that if, if, if Stephen Hawking has decided to become a theologian, and for gosh sakes, learn theology. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, learn it in an intelligent, deep way instead of making these just these statements kind of off the top of your head that really don't don't mean anything at all. I mean, I, I know I keep kind of repeating myself. It's so it's exasperating sometimes to read some of the things he said. He says the only place where religion has has any questions that they can they anything to rely on anymore is how did the universe begin? Uh, what about how did life begin? What about where does human consciousness come from? What about why human beings, how, how do you explain why human beings even ask these questions? Why do we care even that there's such a thing we're trying to figure out meaning and purpose and where do we all come? Why do we even ask about the big questions? <laughs> Monkeys, chimpanzees don't ask big questions. Their big question is where is the next banana coming from? You know, why are we so different? Are you going to tell me that these questions, that somehow he's covered all this stuff? And I mean, okay. Um, I wanted to end with uh, one other thing, which is really in a different direction. I want to quote two inspiring things that Hawking said. Uh-huh. Here's the first. It's something he would say in lectures to young people. Remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Try to make sense of what you see and wonder about what makes the universe exist. Be curious. And however difficult life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. It matters that you don't give up. Unleash your imagination. Shape the future. That's one. And here's the second. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe. And for that, I am extremely grateful. 
yeah, those are those are those are very inspiring statements. Of course, I'll, well, let me, let me put it this way: He says we have we have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe. What do you mean? The universe wasn't designed at all. The grand thing that just kind of happened by itself. Again, I don't want to in any way. I'm not even nothing against Stephen Hawking, and you have to have a great admiration for a guy who achieved so much sitting in a wheelchair. I mean, how many people could could do such a thing? But at the same time, this reflects sort of a uh, this common sort of schizoid view of reality that you see among many non-believing scientists. On the one hand, he talks about the grand design of the universe. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. Grateful to who? Grateful to what? What do you mean you're grateful? What difference did it all make? And this is a question that, of course, which there is no answer to. So you know what? He should be inspired. People should feel inspired by him. But be inspired by uh, the man who overcame such great difficulties to achieve uh, such great ideas in science and in understanding, you know, the, uh, uh, how the universe works, how the physical universe worked. But but please, you know, if you're going to look for uh, uh, intelligent and profound ideas about God, religion, meaning, purpose, uh, this is not, this is not the place to look. He's not the guy to look to. Well, thank you, Rabbi Avrik, for coming to speak with us. If you want more of Rabbi Avrik's trenchant observations, you can find them in his book, Nonsense of a High Order, The Confused World of Modern Atheism, available on Amazon. This has been Ira Berkowitz for Intelligent Design, the future. Hi, this is Casey Luskin. Did you know that ID the Future reaches tens of thousands of listeners every month with the evidence of intelligent design? We need your financial support to keep ID the Future going and growing our listener base. If you value this content, please consider a gift right now. Go to idthefuture.com and click on the big donate button near the top right. That's idthefuture.com. Your donation is an investment in science, culture, and truth. That's idthefuture.com. Thanks so much for listening. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.